Our text tonight is found in the Psalms. However, in order to have an introductory uh, concept on this, I would like you just to turn, and I would like to highlight several of verses found in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, and in these verses, this is the account as is found in Psalm 55. That is, Psalm 55 is the psalm that most Bible scholars feel that David expressed when he was fleeing from his son Absalom, leaving Jerusalem and just about everything behind in a flyaway. The background for that is set up in the course of time, actually by David's own admission, his failures on at least one occasion when the incident of Bathsheba and Uriah occurred. From that time on, David felt the impending judgment of God dealing with him in mercy after his repentance. I would like to just have us look at, in chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, a few verses. Follow with me. I'm just going to highlight a few verses to give us a feel for the circumstance in which David the king found himself. So, 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. And when you read further in these verses, you find, for instance, in verse 5, and whenever anyone approached him, to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king, asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Find again later down in verse 14, 13, the messenger came and told David the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. When David said to all his officials, then he said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately. And so they did leave. On the way in verse 21 of that same chapter 15, we read this. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, wherever it means life or death, there will your servant be. And then in verse 23, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the desert. Verse 25, then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back to the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. And then in verse 30, but David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. 
All the people with him covered their heads too, and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And then in chapter 16, the encounter with this man known as Shimei in verse 7. Shimei said, as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in the, whose place you have reigned. The Lord handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. And then in verse 11, following that encounter, David says to Abishai and all his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. Maybe that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. Now verse 23 of chapter 16. Now in those days, the advice of Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That, is, that was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's vice. And then in chapter 17, Ahithophel said to Solomon, to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him when he's weary and weak. I would strike him with terror. Then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom. But then in verse 7, Hushai replied to Absalom, This advice Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. And then he suggested a delay and a building up of forces. And finally in verse 14, we read, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. And then in verse 23, of chapter 17, and when Ahithophel saw his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown, he put his house in order, and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. Verse 24, David went to Mahanam, 
and Absalom crossed over the Jordan. And then we read in verse 27 in our last text for tonight, when David came to Mahanaim, Mahanaim, excuse me, Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machir son of Amiel from Lo-Debar, and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, The people have become hungry and tired and thirsty in the desert. Let us pile in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word, this inspired word. May it teach us. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as I have read, this is the background of the psalm we're looking at just momentarily, Psalm 55. It's the psalm that most Bible teachers feel David expressed as he was running away from this terrible dilemma that he was in. I want to notice a few things in the psalm, chapter 55, tonight. Uh, The first thing I want us to think about is this. It's found in the first eight verses, and that is this. We should cry while being chastened. Cry aloud. Cry to the Lord when you're chastened. David recognized that the hand of God was on his life. And as we have read earlier in his encounter of murder and adulterous relationship, God later dealt with him through the prophet Nathan. He turned back to the Lord and began a continual walk of repentance. Really, that's some have said what the Christian life it is all about. It's a walk of repentance. It's a walk of turning to the Lord. And when we are walking with the Lord, we recognize that he chastens us for his good. And it's okay to cry out when we have pain, when we have trouble. Our cries certainly should be to the Lord, but the pleasantness of it isn't always acceptable to us. But our hearts are in the right place when we're crying unto the Lord. There's a couple things that show his genuine repentance as he is showing he is being chastened. He's accepting what God is doing in his life. We read a few of them. Exhibit one, he had a compassion on Absalom, the man who was his own son, his own flesh. He had a compassion for him. And later he would mourn him by saying, Absalom, my son, my son. Would I have died and not you, Absalom, my son. He still had a dear fondness in his heart, whether it was totally right or wrong. I guess that's for eternity show, but he still had a sense of compassion. And he asked that when his son would be dealt with in the war situation, that the generals would deal with him gently. He has not vindictiveness in his heart. He has a burden to, to be the king, but to do it in the sense of realizing God is placing him where he is. Exhibit two is this man, Ittai the Gittite. Ittai was a man who came to the Lord. The scripture seems to say he was a worshiper of God. 
And Ittai was a blessing for God. And David accepted his help. But David was willing to let him go back to his Philistine background and not get involved in the fight. But this wonderful man said, I will go with you. But David's insistence on him was in the discussion that we read earlier, if you read the extended version in 2 Samuel, David's willing to let him go because he recognizes that it may be that God will take David and Absalom indeed will be the king and Ittai, you might want to follow him. Back in Pittsburgh, we called Ittai It the Git. (laughs) It's a good way to remember it. But Ittai accepted the Lord. He was following the God of Israel and he would follow God's anointed leader, David. Exhibit three of the genuineness of David's crying to the Lord. And even as he's crying, he's repenting, and he's accepting the chastising hand of God. And that is found in the ceremonial presence of the ark. David recognized that the ark wouldn't do him any good ceremonial just for being there. And he even says in this passage, if only the Lord uh, would give me this victory, then I'll know. But the ark does not have to come with me to prove that uh, God can give me this victory. He recognized God was superior, and he would not accept a pretentious thing as a ceremonial help. His help was in the Lord. Exhibit four, he endured the cursing and the stone attack of this man Shimei, who was loyal to King Saul. And he pelted David with stones. He cursed him terribly. And all the while, David, who could have just dispatched one of his servants to off with his head, in humility said, it may be that this man has been told by the Lord to curse me. His spirit is so broken that it may be the Spirit of God reminding him afresh that he deserves to be dealt with because of the wickedness of his sin that still is on his heart, but at the same time, We know from Psalm 51, David said, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And David also said, O Lord, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. God laid upon him a changed heart. And really, when you look at David's life, for the most part, the rest of his life is one of hard following after God, leaning on his word and not trusting his own resources and relying upon the advice and counsel of God's prophets and God's priests. When we go through dilemmas, we should go through the same thing. We should call unto the Lord in the same way. Cry to the Lord when we're being chastened. Notice the cry of the Lord in Psalm 55, verse 1. David says, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away. I would stay in the desert. 
It would hurry to my place. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. About a week and a half ago, I read one of the books out here in about three hours. I'm not that good a reader, but I read the book on depression. You would do well to get it and read it. Ed Welch uh, uh, Welch, uh, uh, wrote this book. I want to quote on Psalm page 47, where he comments on Job. Very fitting. I didn't realize Job was the study. But in Job 121, he had this comment about Job. Says Ed Welsh, when he, Job, had lost all his children, he fell to the ground in worship. Numbness and pain and worship don't seem to go together. But at least consider who God is. Depression requires this and avoids it. It requires it because all suffering leads to questions about the character of God. But it avoids it because no one naturally pursues God. Suffering makes God seem all the more distant. You are probably angry with God, and he invites angry people to come and be surprised. I thought that was excellent. How well he describes us when we go through the dilemma. David expresses in this first eight verses, listen to the words, trouble, distraught, stares, suffering, reviling, anguish, terrors of death, fear and trembling, horror. They're all upon him. And he says, just like you and I might say, oh, that I had wings as a dove. A few weeks ago, we had dinner at our dear brothers in love, Dr. Ken and Nancy Laudermilk, and they have a nice bird feeder outside their dining room window. And we have watched the birds over the years come. All the local birds come, and included were doves. But uh, that afternoon, we went out and looked at the bottom of the feeder. There at the bottom of the feeder was a nice little pile of feathers, dove brown and gray. Turns out that a red-tailed hawk was also nesting nearby, and he swooped down and very carefully and quickly dispatched that dove and left in its wake only the feathers. Now, I know what David's sentiment was. In David's day, they didn't have stealth fighters. They didn't have helicopter Apaches. They didn't have drones that could swoop in. But his heart was in the right place. If I could just fly away from here, I'd get away from all my troubles. You and I have all been there. But, you know, a dove won't do. Did you notice that David's quotation is found in verse 6 as being in a parentheses? Not a parentheses, but the quotation marks. It expresses how he felt. He expresses what you and I feel. When we are being chastened, if our heart is in the right place, we're accepting it from God. We say, the Lord may be in charge of this. 
this person doesn't have cause in my mind to accuse me, but it may be the Lord has given them permission to accuse me. And in such a way, we submit to the will of God. This is what the heart of David was about when he is writing this psalm. Even as he's running away, he says, Oh, that I might have wings as a dove. May God help us to cry unto him when we're being chastened and chastised. The second thing I want us to see tonight as we look into the Word of God, Psalm 55, is found in the secret of finding an anchor when the storm comes. We sang earlier, Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm doth bind the restless wave. I know some of you are Navy men here, as was my father, who's been with the Lord for almost 20 years. Uh, he shipped out on the USS New Orleans, and that, that hymn has been dear to many who have served in the United States Navy. It's the Navy hymn. But it's a greater hymn because it's a hymn that describes the fact of the Holy God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Trinity all combined who watch over all of us on this sea of life. And it is God who keeps us from sinking beneath the waves. It is His presence in our life that is our source of strength. And so, I want us to see, secondly, not just that we should cry when we're being chastened, but we should have confidence in the Lord's sovereignty. Now, that big theological word wasn't necessarily written down for David at that time, 3,000 years ago, as it is in the uh, writings of the Westminster Confession and the uh, great theologies that we have as a result of the Reformation. But however it is, the Word of God expressed the truth. And so while evacuating Jerusalem with the people of God, and the Scripture says they went in haste and they went barefoot just in the nick of time. And as he does this, you notice in verse 16, Verse 16, Psalm 51, but, Psalm 55, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. I call to God and the Lord saves me. And how did he call to God? Look at verse 9. His prayer is this, confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. And this is where... Most Bible teachers feel this is the reference to Ahithophel. But it is you, verse 13, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. 
for evil finds lodging among them. Verse 16, but I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening and morning and noon I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. You see his prayer, that God would confuse and confound what is logically the right bulwark coming right at him. It is a cyclone of terror facing him, as he readily expressed earlier. And there's only one who could turn it around, confound it, confuse it, and that is the Lord. Now, this man that he speaks about, whom he walked with his arms around his shoulder, coming in to worship the Lord in the tabernacle, this man whom they talked on occasion had, in his mind, sweet fellowship, who, when uh, they would sit down and talk with one another and he would go away after talking with this person and he would speak to another person about Ahithophel as being my close friend. To have that broken when the report comes as he's leaving the city that, David, guess what? Ahithophel is also in this conspiracy. Oh, oh. How can it be? It would be like the betrayal of a dear, the dearest person is what it seemed to like him. The betrayal of a spouse, a close friend, a son or daughter. These were the emotions and the reality that David was facing. And the worst part of it is, Ahithophel Ahithophel had the reputation as being when he spoke, it was as if it were the oracles of God. And I think that's the key. They weren't the oracles of God. He was a man filled up with himself. He wanted recognition. He wanted a better position. He was one not so concerned for interworking with others as is only that interworking would foster a growth in his ladder climbing up to be the powerful administrator of this country of Israel. Here was Ahithophel wanting a better position. In fact, it even goes on to say, David says in verse 21, his speech is as smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Charles Haddon Spurgeon commented on this about Ahithophel. He said, He buttered him up with his flattery, and then he battered him with malice. Buttered him and battered him. And this, for Ahithophel's cause, to rise up in recognition. Secondly, I think Ahithophel very much was like someone who would later follow him. He probably did it for the money that went with it as well. 
A well-positioned counselor can mean good money to an organization. An investment banker who can make the right moves can mean great profit for any corporation. A person who can see the trend where it goes financially, organizationally, and get on that wagon can lead that organization in a rightly successful direction. And that is also, he was going after not only recognition, but recompense. He wanted payback. And about a thousand years later, one who did similar things, who was a trusted confidant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sold out to the Jewish consul for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed somebody far greater than King David. And not only was Ahithophel on this course for his own direction, he was going for, I think, revenge as well. Because the scripture makes clear, if you study some of the genealogies, that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And, and being in such a position, never could quite find it in himself because he was not a man of God to forgive David. Revenge is a powerful drive and revenge without the hand of God holding it down leads to disaster. You see, Ahithophel could not find it in his heart to forgive. David did terrible things, but David repented. David made it right. David held God's hand. David went to God's house. He prayed, and it was real. His friend was beside him, holding his hand, but nothing in his heart. There's a danger there for all of us. That the word of God never diminishes and becomes some trifling thing. How often I have found when visiting, people listen to the radio and how many times they comment on the greatness of Dr. Rogers' sermons. It really does reach out there. It is the heart of this pulpit to reach out and evangelize and transform people with the Word of God. May that ever increase. But not so for Ahithophel. He was there just for the recompense, for the recognition, for the revenge. And, you know, one Bible commentator, Eugene Peterson, said something kind of shocked me. He said, you know, we're like that. We could trip just like Ahithophel. We could really get caught up in money or recognition or lack of giving a sense of give it over to God instead of holding grudge and holding revengeful spirits against somebody. You know, we should always be sure to forgive because if we don't forgive, it will become like a festering gangrene in our heart that will hold us back from any sense of effectiveness. Every Sunday we say, I believe in the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. Let's never forget that and be humbled before God as we so confess our faith 
may it be backed up in our life. You know, it's as if, if it were possible, were it possible, as if we could see our Lord Jesus Christ tapping us on our heart when we're holding a grudge and see his bleeding wounds, the hands, the feet, the broken brile dripping down where he were able to come off the cross and say something to us and saying, listen, Keith, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, in a greater sense, don't we do that every time we meet around the Lord's table? And indeed we are brought to great humility at the sight of our bleeding Savior in faith when we look upon him and see what he did for us, forgiving us our sins, and then saying as well, Lord, forgiving our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, so much for Ahithophel, but God in this conspiracy would have sovereignty, and David had confidence in this sovereignty. We read earlier that Hushai, with his counsel, which really wasn't very good counsel, the fact of the matter is Ahithophel's counsel would have done it. He should have attacked that night. David was fleeing. He wasn't organized. They could have taken David, not hurt anybody else, overpowered David, and brought him back and have Absalom installed and David killed. It was the plan to do. But God was sovereign in this. God was keeping David, and David knew it. Do you notice it says in Psalm 55, look at verse 19, God who is enthroned forever will hear them and afflict them men who never change their ways and who have no fear of God. You see, David recognized God's sovereignty when nothing looked possible from a human vantage point. And there's a great deal in that to teach us. You you and I both know there are times we look and there is no, no cloud on the horizon of help. There just seems to be no way that we'll ever get out of the dilemma. We could holler just as did David in the first eight verses and say, in the end, I wish I'd just fly away from here. But deep down, you know there is a God. And deep down, you know he's in control. And David knew the same thing. God, verse 19, who is enthroned, he knew that God was the real king. And David's one of the very few kings that recognized that. Most who gain power flaunted on themselves. I would never want to be a king. Let me be a door sweeper in the house of God, as one of the Psalms said, or a floor keeper. Let those who are specially gifted by God be in great leadership positions. But David, in the position that God anointed him to, early on exhibited the fact that he would not touch the Lord's anointed, King Saul. He recognized God gave him this position through Davidic covenant, as it's found in the Scripture. And that's something Absalom would never know. God is really in control. 
Not a man like Absalom who was vain and conceited and self-interest and lustful and uh, a powerful persuader against the truth that should have been staring him in the face. But so it goes with such people. But David recognized that the real king is God himself. Wisdom comes there. He had confidence in the Lord's sovereignty. And finally tonight, I want us to look at what is the result of this. What should we do, even as David did? We should proclaim God's help. Notice verse 22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Do notice that it doesn't say, I cast my care on the Lord and he sustained me. He will never let me fall. Now, David, he takes the the dilemma he's in and in his worst possible situation, it's as if he says to his aides by his side, my friend, take trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Cast your care on the Lord and he will sustain. He'll get you through this. See, David's proclaiming God's help. What David did, he tells us to do. He will sustain us. David recognized who the real king was. And he lived in the confidence of the Lord in spite of all the trouble that was around him. You and I would do well as we learn to grow in grace to just keep trust in the Lord, keep confident in him. God sustained David because God was the real king. The real king is the king of kings and lord of lords, as we were reminded this morning. He is lord. He is all-powerful. And we should proclaim him even in the midst of troubles. And then we should realize not only did God sustain David and he preached God's help, but he preached God's help through people. Ittai the Gittite. Forgive me for saying it the git. I bet you'll never forget him, though. (laughs) He was a Philistine, but he was a believer. And he said to David, I'm with you. As surely as the Lord lives, I'm with you. It's great to have somebody who was formerly angered against us. The Philistines were historic terror to the Jewish people. In fact, Goliath himself had been killed by David when he was a lad, and yet Ittai saw that his God was the true God. He had come to be a worshiper of God. And his result was, David, where you go, I'm going. I'm going to march on right with you. Stand by your spiritual leaders Stand by those who have authority over you. Unless they're calling you to do something wrong, stand by them. Show them the testimony of Christ in you. God sustained David with being the real king. He sustained him with Ittai, and he sustained him at the end with Barzillai. Did you read that? Barzillai of Mahanaim. I like to call him Barzilla the Barillite. Barilla, you know, Barilla is a form of uh, pasta. 
and you can get all kinds of good stuff from that company. Spaghetti and ziti and you know, all those kinds of things. Well, this is the man Barzillai. He comes with it all. <laughs> when I was in college, a friend of mine, Frank Falvano, invited us to his house after a college basketball game, I guess it was. And uh, his mother and dad, Volvano, you know, they were all Italian. And they had the schmoodle everything. It was all there. Every kind of serving, every kind of pasta, you know, course after course after course. And these were skinny college kids, you know, how they can eat. (laughs) What a spread. And this is just what this great old 80-year-old man, Barzillais, does. He, He has a loyalty to the Lord who David the Lord's anointed leader, and he comes with beds. They've come through the desert. They're tired. He doesn't just say, well, here, go to the local Goodwill. (laughs) Here's a bed. Here are bowls, and look at the food. Barley, wheat, grain, beans, lentils, honey, cheese, milk. Hungry, tired, and thirsty in the desert they are, and here comes a man of God provided for David and all the company of soldiers and the women and children that were with him. This is God's provision. He will sustain you, the Scripture says. In our first home in Norristown, there was a little zoo nearby, and I used to go over and look at the animals, and there was one animal called a sun bear from Indonesia. And, uh, yeah, you'd go down there and you'd feed them carrots and stuff and grain. One day I got the brilliant idea to take a baggie and fill it almost full of clover honey. And so I took my little twisty and put it on the baggie and went down to the zoo. And the bear came over and bored to death at people throwing him stuff. And I took this honey and threw it in the cage. And you just, I was only worried that he might choke to death on the plastic. (laughs) But he hit that honey and sucked it up like he had never had honey before. And I don't think he did. And I walked around the cage, and wherever I was, he was there walking beside me and growling 